Let me pray us in. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to teach your word. I don't take it lightly. I don't take it for granted. I take it very seriously and, and study and prepare. And part of that, a large part of that is praying and asking the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom and insight and to discern the truth as it was, as it applies to us today, that we may learn from it, grow from it, grow in Christ, and then more than anything else, leave this place committed to living more like Christ and loving more like Christ for his sake of prayer. Amen. It's been interesting in this whole thing of technology companies and the control that they exercise over so much of our communication. They're coming under some fire for it, but they're, they're not going to stop trying to control the narrative. And as Christians, we need to be bold to speak into that and speak up against it. And we need to keep teaching and preaching the truth, which is what I'm going to do and what I continue to do. I mean, we talked about last week, uh, and I'm talking about in the podcasts of my Minute for Men this week, that the message of the cross is what foolishness for those who are perishing. But those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The salvation it is. stuff I'm going to speak into a lot of things all coming out of Romans 1. Romans chapter 1 is a very powerful chapter. And so I want to give you some background introduction on that. And then we'll dive into these three areas, these three things that God gave them over to. One of the most dangerous things that happens in the Bible happened in the Old Testament. Paul talks about it happening here in the New Testament. And it's happening here today. It's already happened. And you will see why I maintain and teach that. This is just all pointing to the return of Christ, the rapture of the church, and, and, and a, a season that we're going to go into that's going to be unbelievable and unbearable. And I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news. I'm just trying to teach you the truth of the Word of God so that as Christians, you can be prepared. And if you're not saved, you can understand the truth and get prepared. So let's get started. Romans 1, 1 through 17. It's a really long introduction. And I'm going to go through certain verses of that, because what Paul does, in it, he explains the gospel in the first four verses. We're going to read that. Then he talks about his calling in five and six, how he was called, how God called him out, who he was called to. He speaks to his audience. In this case, it's Romans. It's the Christian church in Rome, you know, where Paul was later tried and you know, we believe beheaded. This was written in 57 A.D. or right around there, circa 57 A.D. And it looks like it was written in 2021 A.D. Hard to tell the difference sometimes. All right, listen along. I'm in Romans 1, and I'm going to go through quickly these first few verses before we get to our main text. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called it as an apostle. Apostle means messenger, set apart for the gospel of God, set apart, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, meaning the Torah and the Tanakh, the Old, the Old Testament's all they had. He promised Jesus uh, going through the prophets uh, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David. We know that. That was Joseph and Mary. According to the flesh, he was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Right? Without the resurrection, there is no power. We worship a dead man. I've taught you that many times. According to the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit was involved in all of that process. Who is, and then it says, referring to him, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom this is now the gospel through whom we have received grace and apostleship, his apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you are also called of Christ Jesus. 
Now, verse 5 starts where he, verse 5 is where it picks up, talks about his calling. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Uh, Paul was called to be an apostle. He wasn't one of the 12 original ones. They were called disciples before Jesus' ascension. They're called apostles after he sent them out to bring about the obedience of faith to the Gentiles. And he said, I'm the one, I'm sent to the Gentiles. He was sent to the Gentiles. Jesus came to the Jews first, and the Jews rejected him and rejected the message, and then God made it available to the Gentiles. And we are Gentiles, by the way. If you're not a Jew, a Hebrew Jew, you are not, uh, I mean, if, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Okay, so let's keep going. The address I said is to all the beloved saints in Rome. God called grace and peace to you from God our Father. Then he goes through thanking the Lord Jesus for them, uh, for hearing about their faith. For God whom I serve in my spirit and preaching the gospel is, is my witness to how I unceasingly make mention of you in my prayers. He prays for them. He prays for them fervently and unceasingly. And if perhaps now at, at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you, he wanted to go. He would end up in Rome as we know. For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may encourage, be, be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by each other's faith, yours and mine. We're encouraged by gathering together with other believers by their faith. I want to hear those faith stories. I want to hear what God's doing. I don't want to just sit there and worship, sing music. I want to hear the testimonies of the saints. You know, that's what we want to hear in the church. We get to verse 16. This is where Paul makes this amazing declaration. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And then he goes on to say, To the Jew first and then the Gentile, telling them, Look, this is how God laid it out. This is how it was supposed to happen. Well, again, remember, Paul himself is a Jew, was a Pharisee, was a Jew who persecuted Christians and had them killed stood there and watched it. We've, we read that testimony in the book of Acts. But he now says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. And it could get you killed then. And then we come a time in our world or in our nation where it can here as well. It can get you killed in other parts of the world. There are certain nations where they will kill Christians, whether it's some radical Islamic or some in other parts of the world or in China and places where they don't put up with it. They're afraid of what happens when people get saved. They've seen it the demonstration, which is amazing, and they'll kill them. And so Paul wrote this amazing thing. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. It is the power of God to salvation to all who believe, Jew, person, and Gentile. And verse 17 is this. This is that verse I was talking about. For in it, in it, meaning the gospel, meaning Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. And here's this little phrase, but the righteous man shall live by faith. But the righteous man shall live by faith. In the King James, the way that's taught and the way Luther would have seen it and the way it was taught for generations before other translations came along, it says this, the just shall live by faith. And those words in Romans 1.17, and by the way, uh, Paul here is simply quoting the prophet Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 2.4, that's where these words were found. And God said to Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Luther was so struck with that 
let me tell you what happened. I'm going to give you a short overview of the Protestant Reformation because it's so important coming out of this. But also, I think it's important for us to remember, and most people have no idea how it happened, what went down. I'm going to give you just a snippet only because it's so applicable to today. Martin Luther was a priest, Catholic, Roman Catholic. The Reformation occurred in 1517 in Wittenberg, Germany. And here's what happened. Luther kept noticing that the practices of the Catholic Church so deviated from what he read in Scripture, he was just outraged. He was totally outraged. And what they were doing, the thing that kind of flipped the switch, or one of the things I'm told as I study this, is that they were selling indulgences. What does that mean? It means they were letting people buy their way out of sin that you could buy your way out of sin and find forgiveness by paying money for it. And Luther was outraged, and when he saw these words, and I'm sure he'd seen them before, but you know, sometimes when you're studying Scripture, the words that you've read dozens, maybe a hundred times before, the Holy Spirit uses them to jump off the page at you. And when he read these words, the just shall live by faith, knowing it was Habakkuk back a thousand plus years before, and here he is reading it again in the New Testament with Paul, the Apostle Paul. He said, that's right. That's right. There are no works to get to heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. You can't buy these indulgences to, to get forgiveness of sin. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is the great high priest. We don't need a priest to go confess to or through. Jesus said, and I'm going to read that to you right here. Uh, the writer of Hebrews said it well. He said, in, I'm in Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. This is the hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope for both sure and reliable and one which enters within the veil. Remember the veil, which was what separated the Holy of Holies and the Ark because you'd get killed. Only the high priest could go back there once a year. That This, this now enters the veil where Jesus Christ has entered as a forerunner for us having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the priest that showed up to Abraham, and Abraham immediately gave him a tithe and worshiped God by giving him a tithe. That's where the tithe comes from, by the way, the 10%. That's way back in Genesis. But Jesus entered as a forerunner through the veil, became a high priest forever. We don't need a priest. We don't need someone to intercede for us. The Bible teaches us Jesus is our high priest and intercessor who sat down at the right hand of God the Father to intercede for us. That's why we pray through Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. That's why you do it. If you didn't know, that's why you do it. We plead the, the blood of Christ. We plead that, that our prayers be answered, our petitions, everything. We cry out to God through Christ because it's only through Christ they can be heard or forgiven or God acted upon. There is no other way. It doesn't work any other way. And Luther knew that. The Holy Spirit burned in his spirit that this is the truth. So he wrote down he wrote down what they called the 95 Theses, his objections to everything they were doing that he disliked. And, and it said that he nailed them to the door of the church there in Wittenberg, and that set, that set the fire. That set it all off. And the Protestant Reformation was born out of that uh, 503 years or so ago. I hope that helps you some understand where the Protestant church came from. And out of that came all the other Protestant denominations. And again, denominations, not one of them has got it all right. Everybody kind of peeled off a little bit of what they thought was a better interpretation or this practice or that practice. And that's how the Protestant Reformation started. You can imagine how upset 
the Catholics and, and the leadership in Rome were with Luther. And so he ends up being persecuted. He ends up going to trial. And this was interesting. He was tried for the crime and the sin of heresy by the heretics. <laughs> they were the heretics, and they're trying Luther as a heretic, trying him for heresy. It's just so ironic and so sad. So anyway, that's the introduction I wanted to give you out of this one little verse. And an amazing, and I hope that as you study the word, that you will study the word, that you'll look for things for God, the Holy Spirit, just to pop into your spirit. It's a time in your life. It's a season you're going through where something just means more to you. That's how the Bible was written. That's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives with it. In Romans 1.18, Paul makes this really quick segue because he's talked about, I talked about the gospel, the love of God through Christ and the gospel, how he poured it out for us. We're saved by grace through faith. No works involved. Remember Ephesians tells us that. Well, he gets through that part. He makes this great faith proclamation about not being ashamed of the gospel and tells why. And then, bam, here's what he says. Immediately goes to in, in uh, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that is that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his power, eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen. Again, this is revealed in nature so that they are without excuse. And I'm going to stop there. So what we're talking about here is the wrath of God, the wrath of God. Don't misunderstand or don't leave that out of the full counsel of God when we're studying the scripture. Too many churches today, too many places want the grace and the mercy and the love and all the soft, what they consider soft and warm and fuzzy things about God that just make them feel good. And they can feel good about themselves no matter how they live or what they've done. And we are going to get into that shortly. But understand this, the wrath of God, the anger of God, God's justice will be satisfied. That's as much a part of his nature as his love and, and grace and mercy and the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ alone, the wrath of God will be satisfied. Sin, beginning in the, in the garden, beginning in Genesis 3, when we talked about that last year, listen, the wrath of God doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. It's not like all of a sudden, okay, God's not mad anymore. It drives me nuts when I hear these things, even on Christian radio or in songs that say, oh, hey, God's not mad at you. You know, just now. There's some truth to that, but it's highly, deceptive is not the right word. It's highly misleading. It's misleading because God is angry at all sin, hates all sin, mine, yours, all sin, no matter what it is, God hates sin. He created a perfect world through perfect people, set it all up, perfect garden, perfect, perfect everything, and we destroyed that. We tore it down, and he destroyed everything except for creatures and eight people through the flood, start all over again. And very soon we went back to being sinful man and God thinking, I had enough with all this stuff. He creates his own people through the through Abraham, as I mentioned. And, and still the people continue to rebel. They no, they no sooner get out of Egypt after hundreds of years of being captive, enslaved. 
He set them free with amazing, miraculous stuff, promised them this promised land is going to be great. And they get in the desert, start whining, complaining, want to go back. You know, that's how we are today. And what we see as we study scripture and as we look at these verses tonight and look into our own lives, we are still like that today. Doesn't mean God's sitting there angry and trying to do this and zap you and all these things like I was kind of brought up in a very legalistic church. There are elements of that that are true. But God, through his love, extended mercy and then out of that grace through Jesus Christ. That's how he did it. Well, let's keep going. So I read you the verses about this aim of God's wrath. Who was it against? There were five characteristics of these people. There was ungodliness, unrighteousness, those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, which means they do more evil to refute truth. They did not honor God, and they were not thankful for who he was and what he did for them. You see, they know what he's telling us here is that creation reveals God. Creation reveals God. People say, well, gosh, what about people who never hear? What if their tribes haven't been reached? You know, the Internet doesn't go everywhere. But this has been asked since we barely had television or TV when I was a little boy. Well, what about the people that aren't reached? God has said very clearly, everyone in creation, everyone that's ever been created in the past, present and future will know that he is from nature, his creation. You look around and think, wow, where'd this come from? How could this be? You look at the the spectacular scenes that you might see from the top of a mountain if you go hiking or when you're at the beach or someplace and you look and we were down there through a hurricane um, back in September and just the fury of the waves and the wind and tearing houses down and blowing up part of the one we were in, blowing off all the, the siding and stuff and moving things around. The power and awesomeness of God is, is revealed in nature through his creation to everyone and to everything. Every creature knows it. Every created thing knows it. Remember, Jesus said that if, if they don't stop and praise me, even the rocks will cry out. The rocks will cry out. The rocks know. It says all of creation groans. It groans because it fell when mankind fell. It wasn't supposed to look like that. There weren't supposed to be earthquakes and fires and famines and all the things and natural disasters wasn't intended to be. All of that, all of that disruption within nature came out of the fall of man and sin coming into the world. It was perfect before. But make no mistake about it. No one can say well, I've not seen God, or I don't know God, or who is God, or I don't believe in God, because God says, I've revealed myself in nature, and here's one of the scariest parts of any verse in the Bible, and I want you to listen to this and lock on to it. He said, so they are without excuse. No excuses. You cannot say, oh, well, nobody told me that. Nobody told me that. Now, I I believe in what's called an age of accountability, which in terms of your salvation— the judgment between heaven and hell comes when someone rejects Christ, knowingly rejects Christ, understands it, that age of accountability. Some people don't believe and teach that way. I believe exactly that's how the Bible teaches it. I can give you the verses that point to that. But make no mistake about this. God has revealed himself in nature. You look at cultures when they discover new societies and things, they're always worshiping something. They know there's something else out there. They do. They just, they're not sure exactly what that looks like or how to do it. So they'll worship the sun. They'll worship different things. That's always been the case in every civilization that's been discovered. 
But now we go into civilizations that are more sophisticated, uh, smarter people. And we talked last time about how Paul dealt with the Greeks on this. The Greeks were philosophers, reasoners, thought they were very smart. All these famous philosophers came out of the Greek empire. The Romans were very similar in the way they thought. You know, So let me keep going here. Here's what indicts these people that know. You know because God has revealed himself in nature. He goes on to say in verses 21 and 22, they became futile in their speculations. In other words, they're just, you're just taking a shot in the dark and then trying to teach it as truth. And their foolish heart was darkened. This is a consequence. This is not God doing this. This is what happens when people turn from God, revolt against God, rebel against God, and just and go their own way so long, so strong that their heart gets hardened and darkened. There's several places throughout Scripture, especially in Old Testament, God's, it said that God hardened his heart. It said about fear and that God hardened their hearts. Hardening of a heart, the darkening of a heart, comes out of our ongoing disobedience and rejection of the truth. And God said, I am the truth. I reveal myself in nature. Believe in me. And they said, no, no, no. We've got a better way. We've got a better way. We, we thought of some things make more sense. And so it says, professing to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They look like wise men and women to regular people. Happens all the time in this country. Look how many fools follow fools on the Internet, on Facebook, on Twitter, on wherever it is, wherever you can follow somebody. Look at the fools following fools. It's like Jesus said, the blind guy leading the blind. They all fall into the pit. They all fall into the pit. So the preferring to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible, perfect God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. You see, they worshiped themselves and man-made idols. And why were they darkened? Why was this so repulsive to God? What is the very first commandment? What is the very first commandment? If you look at Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are laid out, what is the very first commandment? Exodus 20, and it's right here in verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You need to know that one. You shall have no other gods before me. That is first. And the second one follows right on with it. And it said this, you shall not make for yourself an idol, a likeness of what is in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the water, under the water. You shall not worship and serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Listen to this. Visiting the sins of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall have no other gods. That's the first commandment. No idols, graven images, whatever. Look at what Paul's talking about. This is what these people are doing. They're breaking these commandments, and God says, fine, go your own way, but the world's going to get dark. It's going to get more evil. Deception's going to follow along. It's going to be bad news. It's going to be really bad news. And so this is what he's trying to get across to the Romans. Again, the Romans all had gods, the Roman gods, the Greek gods. They all built up these gods. And so, uh, the church in Rome, these Romans, just like the Corinth, they had these images and symbols that they'd worship. Those are graven images. I had someone take me to task one time, I don't know, a couple of years, when I first started doing this a while back, about these crosses on the wall. And some guys said, well, look, he's got these idols and graven images on the wall behind his teaching. No, it's not. 
These are symbols of the cross of Christ, and I don't worship them. They're just there to remind me of what Christ did for me and for you. And so that when I'm teaching, you can see them and be reminded the message of the cross is foolishness. And sometimes people who think they know things like this think they're wise, are foolish, and they say foolish things. But you think about this. How many fools following fools are there throughout the world wide web? It's millions. And so they worship themselves. They broke those commandments. And again, the Holy Spirit spoke these words to Paul. They are without excuse. We're going to start now in the, the therefores. And I remember old pastor, a friend uh, that Gigi and I had when we were young and single. We met in this church. And this pastor, it was Jimmy Latimer at Central Church. When he was teaching the Bible and going through verses word for word, he'd say, now, when there's a therefore in the Bible, you need to stop and ask this question. What's it there for? And look at what's there. We've talked about what came before this because of all these things that they're practicing, violating commandments, thinking they're smart, coming up with all these ideas, refusing to believe God, refusing to honor God. Here's what happens. So the first therefore, and there's three. We're going to get to one or two of them tonight. The first one is this. I'm in verse 24 now, Romans 1, 24. Therefore, this is the first one. God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Hold on to that phrase. I'm coming back to that one strong in a minute. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. It's idolatry. We just talked about that. They worshiped and served the creature, somebody like us, other people, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, this speaks to, and this goes back all the way up to human history. When he talks about this, the hearts to impurity, they exchange the truth for a lie. This idolatry took on unbelievable forms. I mean, they not only created pagan gods and images out of stone, they worshipped animals. Some people worshipped snakes. Some people worshipped each other, other people, uh, gods they made up, gods of wood, stone, all these things. These are those false images. But, but it went far beyond that because in their worship practices, and even the Jews fell into this, and you'll be shocked to, to, to read this, but believe it, you go back and read multiple places. The Jews fell into these pagan rituals, uh, especially with the god Moloch, and they sacrificed their own children. They sacrificed babies to a foreign god, killed them, thinking that this god would bless them. They didn't necessarily stop believing in the god of Israel, but they thought, well, he's not doing enough quick enough, so maybe these other guys have something here, and they've got a bunch of gods. Why can't we have a bunch of gods? And that is why God went to such great pains to say, I alone am Jehovah. I am the Lord God. There is no other. That's right there in that commandment. There is no other. The pagans had nothing over God's chosen people. They became just as pagan as the pagans. And obviously, God was torn up about this. And we know that ultimately, he ended up allowing them to be destroyed completely, overrun, leaving just a remnant for thousands of years. So we need to be mindful of the first, therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to impurity, that they exchanged the truth for a lie. Now, let's stop right here. And think for just a minute about what's going on in our nation today. Just one of the things. How much truth has been exchanged for lies? And I'm speaking here primarily of biblical truth. But there's just other truth that we know that may be historical truth or 
truth that has application in other places where Satan is so dominating this world, which Jesus said, by the way, this is not Walter saying some uh, spooky kind of stuff. Jesus called him the father of lies, the great deceiver, the prince of power of the air. Satan and demons have dominion over this world as we know it today, unless you are born again in Christ, because we have the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have the ability to fight those off, and we'll talk about that more in the weeks ahead. So I want you to understand that, that he gave them over to their own lusts. He gave them over to themselves, and they exchanged the truth for a lie. How many things today are you hearing in the news and the media, if you watch that dribble? I do not. But they'll be sitting there stating things like they are absolute truths when they are complete fabrications and lies. You can't believe anything. It's very, very sad. And you're trying to find an outlet for truth. The only one I found is the Word of God and hope to find some people who will speak truth biblically, understanding where it comes from. But it's difficult. Why? Because they exchange the truth for a lie. And so we shouldn't be surprised by that. Shocked and dismayed and just grieved by it? Yes. But Jesus told us that was coming. Paul told us that was coming. These are signs of the times when it becomes so evil that people say, hey, I'm the good guy and you're the bad guy. How often does that happen today in the United States? Every day. Every day.